Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. On today's show, we're joined by Tara Haley and Bara Vaida from the Association of Healthcare Journalists, the Center for Excellence in Healthcare Journalism. They are topic leaders. The Association of Healthcare Journalists is an independent nonprofit organization dedicated to advancing public understanding of healthcare issues. Tara is the leader for medical studies. She guides journalists through the jargon-filled shorthand of science and research and enables them to translate the evidence into accurate information that readers can grasp. Bara is the leader for infectious disease, helping journalists recognize emerging stories, understand the science of diseases, as well as preventions and cures. Both are longtime journalists. Tara has written multiple books, including The Informed Parent, a science-based resource for your child's first four years, and has done a TEDx talk on why parents fear vaccines. And in 2017, Bara wrote a piece for CQ Researcher asking the question, is the world prepared for the next pandemic threat? Thank you for joining me. I will start with uh, looking, I guess, for a collaborative answer on this. Tara, can you start us off by explaining, give us an overview of what AHCJ does? Yeah, AHCJ is a journalism organization. It's a professional organization similar to the Society for Professional Journalists or the National Association of Science Writers. And it is the largest professional organization in the United States for health journalists. I don't know what our membership is, but it's quite impressive. Um, I, I cannot imagine doing my work as a health journalist without being a member of that organization because the resources they provide are absolutely phenomenal. Uh, we have a variety of topic, uh, core topics that provide sort of, um, I guess, an introduction to different areas, but also definitions, glossaries, uh, key terms, you know, tips on how people get through different reporting things that they do on that particular core topic, tip sheets, all different kinds of resources in different areas. And those are the core topics that you mentioned at the start. Yeah, and also I'd like to mention, and thank you, Mark, for doing this, that we have a great sort of set of networking opportunities too, which I have valued greatly, especially as an independent writer and no longer have a newsroom. And so I've met folks like Tara and others at, we usually have a, a great annual conference every year, which was supposed to be uh, in Austin in, uh, I think it was April, I think this past year, and obviously it, it's postponed till next year, but there's just been a lot of opportunities for helping journalists connect one another and support one another as well. And Bara, can you explain for us uh, what exactly you do and why the topic that you're a topic leader on has personal importance to you? So I, I provide a, for the HCJ as a core topic leader, I am always looking for resources to help colleagues cover this. Obviously a huge story. It's really interesting. I mean, before COVID-19, I think infectious disease was considered kind of one of sort of a, a lesser of the, the topic areas in healthcare. I became really interested in it because I had gotten an assignment to write about pandemic preparedness. And I spent a lot of time kind of in the world of understanding pandemics and epidemics through history. And I'm a, I was a history major in college. And so I was really interested in how uh, pandemics have changed the course of so many things uh, throughout 
civilization. And so it was, it was a really interesting piece to work on. So it, it kind of, I matched both my um, kind of science geekdom because I just, I love the science of understanding infectious diseases and then just so the cultural implications and historical implications of what pandemics and infectious diseases have meant for humans. And uh, I, what I really enjoy about being a, a core topic leader is, is being able to work with colleagues and to help them cover the, cover the story more deeply. And it's also kept me on my toes as well, helping me find resources for my own work. Tara, can, can you uh, explain uh, your core topic and why it has personal importance to you? Yeah, mine is on medical studies. So I help journalists understand how to interpret medical studies and read them and, and know how to formulate questions for researchers that they interview and cover them responsibly. I'm very, very passionate about it because the, you know, covering medical studies is sort of a staple of all health research, or excuse me, health journalism. You will see headlines every single day declaring a new study says X. And probably more than half of those are just either really wrong or poorly reported. Um, and they are very confusing to consumers who don't really know what to believe. It's like, I call it the, the coffee chocolate um, red wine problem, which is that any one of those will kill you today and save you tomorrow, because that's how it feels. Um, so I think it's really important that journalists who are going to cover studies understand how to read and approach those studies and be very, very skeptical of the methods of them and how they report them and really cautious about their limitations. I don't think we're cautious enough about limitations. And I don't think that journalists do a good enough job in providing context, putting findings in context, or in explaining how science works. People think of it as a body of facts as opposed to an ongoing process of seeking the truth and getting closer and closer over time. And because of that, the sort of up and downs, they found this today and the opposite tomorrow, they don't understand that that's actually part of the normal process of science. And I think it's vital that we do better education on scientific literacy in that regard. And I will add, uh, while some of much of the, the information in the core topics is available to anyone. You don't have to be a member. There are some things behind a paywall for members of AHCJ. However, all of the content we've been producing on COVID-19 is available for everybody. So any journalist who has normally been a general assignment reporter or a business reporter and has found themselves thrust into covering this pandemic can use those resources. One of the topics that you are, uh, you mentioned passionate about uh, is vaccination. Uh, and that's certainly a very big story now. You actually did a TEDx talk about that, which I watched and I recommend it's on YouTube. I will uh, provide a link in the show notes. Can you tell us about that and about that? Uh, I thought one of the interesting things that you did was you you understood that you're grouping people here not into the anti-vaxxers and the people that are vaccinating, uh, but you have the people that are vaccinating and then you have this other group that is just people that are just fearful because they, they just don't know what to believe. Yeah, I think that's actually a common problem in general in science where we create these false dichotomies, these binaries that don't really reflect what the continuum of the evidence is. Um, there's very few binaries. I will say that one of them is that the earth is not flat. The <laughs> earth is round. And, and we know that. That is a scientific fact, not a theory. Gravity, on the other hand, is a theory. Um, but it's a pretty solid one. But there, there aren't a lot of scientific facts in that regard. And there's a lot of theories and there's a lot of um, consensus of the evidence 
uh, you know, statements that represent the best that we know right now with the evidence that we have. And I think when it comes to you know, vaccination, the consensus of the evidence is very much in favor of the schedule recommended by the CDC, but it's a very confusing body of evidence, especially when you have studies that show this finding or that finding that seem to contradict it. And people don't realize that you have to look at the whole and that looking at the whole requires knowledge across many different disciplines. Not a single person can go through and do that. Um, and that again goes back to my passion about medical studies is putting things into context. And I think contextualizing why people worry about vaccines, the ways, that, you know, the specific concerns that they have, which are not uniform, and the ways that they express them and the different choices and behaviors and attitudes that they have or that they make, you can't cover that issue responsibly if you don't understand that beyond anti-pro, uh, which is, is a huge oversimplification. And we see that right now with the COVID-19 vaccine development. There are lots of public health experts who have concerns about how some of that process is going. Uh, we have a lot of transparency from pharmaceutical companies who are reporting adverse events and the public may not understand that that is normal and that that happens and that vaccine trials often get stopped and started and stopped and started when those are those kinds of things are found. So I think understanding all of those intricacies is going to be really important uh, and, and important to not oversimplifying concerns the public might have about the vaccines that get developed. I've seen a lot of that with uh, journalists uh, kind of not being familiar with what they're covering right now. That seems to have happened with, with what's happened. Barra, um, in 2017, uh, you wrote an article asking if the world was prepared for the next pandemic. Can you tell us about that article and um, just reporting on trying to find something like that out? So, no, right? I mean, as, we, as it turns out, no, we were not. I think I thought on some level that we were more prepared than as it turned out we were. I think a big part of that was the leadership issues. We had uh, the biggest problem, I think, as it turned out, was that we didn't have the investment in the public health infrastructure. And I think that that was something that a lot of healthcare experts had worried about and raised red flags about. And it was just not a priority, obviously, and, and it has showed up now. I think, again, a big part of what went wrong over these past uh, months is that there was no, there's been no clear leadership from, from the White House. Yeah, there, there is this White House task force, but uh, from best from what we understand, it's, um, it, there's lots of um, conflicting uh, decision making going on and not necessarily what you know, the public health officials don't seem to be the ones that are sort of necessarily um, in charge of how things are kind of playing out and being executed. Uh, what, what's happened is that really the states have been left to themselves to kind of determine how, how to implement uh, guidelines from the CDC, but the CDC has been, uh, that is the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, um, which is the, the nation's kind of, was the nation's kind of premier public health agency and has been for many, many decades. And they have many wonderful scientists there that uh, have uh, tried to provide really science-based, evidence-based kind of guidelines on how how best families can protect themselves and um, what communities can do to you know prevent spread and and to also uh, to offer guidance in terms of contact tracing and testing and the states have all been left to themselves to kind of decide wh whether they want to implement this and I think that that's a big part of what 
went wrong. And I don't think any, uh, what was raised in 2017 was that there was a great concern about lack of funding in any of this, in any of the contact tracing to, you know, public health investment to having folks on the ground. Uh, but I don't think anyone expected that there would be really no clear direction at all and that the CDC would be, uh, you know, undermined as in the way that it has been. And so I think there wasn't, I think in that sense, there was, um, I don't know if surprise is the right word, or maybe just that that was not necessarily expected. And uh, so I, and I'd be curious, Tara, Tara, what you think too, as well. I think the biggest surprise has really been the CDC and what has happened and how that has played out. You said it all beautifully. I, I would echo everything that you've said. You said mm -hmm. it far more tactfully than I would have. <laughs> I think the bottom line is that we did not plan to have Trump in office and we didn't account for the fact that someone such as that could be leading this country. Uh, you couldn't find someone who'd be more incompetent at that, um, unfortunately. What have you seen from journalists uh, in terms of where they need, Barra, I'll start with you on this. Where do journalists need the most help, help with regards to covering uh, Every, all the different issues related uh, to your topic of expertise? I mean, I think it's finding public health officials to talk to. That is certainly something I've been asked about over and over again. Can I, can I help someone find a public health person to talk to in their community and also to find experts on particular topics? And so I'm always kind of looking out. I also created a, a, a curated Twitter feed of uh, experts that I and I keep track of to make sure that they're not going too far into kind of the politics side of things and are offering really kind of evidence-based point of views. And so I offer that as a, a resource and any of those folks on the on that Twitter list are good people for journalists to reach out to and I think a lot of them do respond via Twitter. And I, I think just, you know, finding background information and trying to understand these all these very, very complicated topics, you know, what is plasma? What, you know, how, what is an antibody, um, you know, what is the vaccine process? How does that FDA regulatory process work? You know, what is contact tracing? What is asymptomatic spread? I think these are all just really hard and complicated things. And journalists are obviously always being asked to comment and get a story out in an hour or two hours or three hours and or, or write about a particular study. And I think that that has been just, and it doesn't stop, right? It hasn't stopped since you know, February, it's been gone more and more and faster and faster. So I think that that has been one of the biggest challenges. And I know you didn't want to talk about politics, but I think politics also yep. is, is hard here mm -hmm. as well. Cause you, cause you can't keep politics out of the story. Right. And, and I think that was also a surprise for, in terms of um, how this has played out and how it has colored um, the response. Right. And is it, is it challenging to have, you know, some political reporters now delving into some of the scientific and, and medical information, uh, it, it, that must make it, that must be pretty challenging, no? Yes, that has been a, a major problem actually, because political reporters are used to covering things in a very different way where they look at, you know, making sure that they cover all different sides of a um, of an issue and getting varying perspectives. And that's very important when we're covering the political process. When you're covering the scientific evidence, including every single perspective means that you're going to include perspectives that do not have scientific evidence backing them up. And I think that political journalists don't have many of them. And there's been fantastic ones. I shouldn't, I'm not painting with too broad a brush, especially health policy folks. They are right at the center there and have been fantastic. I, I can think of a couple off the top of my head who have been amazing. 
but you do have a lot of political journalists who are reporting on things like, for example, uh, hydroxychloroquine. And it's like, well, this guy says this, but that guy says that. Well, we don't really care what, who those people are or what they say. What we care is what the evidence says. And the people that you interview need to be the people who are talking about the evidence. And we didn't see enough of that. And that goes back to the importance of understanding studies, especially with the research coming out so rapidly. Uh, Preprints and peer-reviewed articles um, have been, it's overwhelming to try and keep up with them all. And that makes the, the, you know, the need to have those skills to assess a study and whether it's worth covering and what to cover in it even more important. I, I will say two things. Uh, one, regarding the political issues, I think what makes this one particularly challenging, you're always going to have politics and public health. That's impossible not to, even if it's just talking about funding. What makes the challenge unique in this circumstance is we haven't had a public health emergency in which belief in the existence of the public health emergency fell along ideological or political lines. And that has made it very difficult to get the kind of public buy-in that is necessary to address that with, with appropriate public health measures. And I think that's been a big challenge. Another thing I'll say that has surprised me, perhaps the thing that surprised me the most about the pandemic from a reporting perspective is how utterly invaluable Twitter has been. Um, up until the pandemic, I used Twitter. It was very helpful for finding sources or keeping my pulse on things, but I wouldn't say it was so essential that I couldn't do my job without it. During the pandemic, I would say that I can't do my job effectively without Twitter because there are so many phenomenal public health experts, infectious disease experts, epidemiologists, all providing like on the fly peer review with preprints or, you know, putting things into context that are being reported or correcting things that are misreported, you know, in real time. And following them has enabled me to sort of separate the wheat from the chaff and find the signal in the noise and all the other metaphors you want to use for that. Um, that would be so much more difficult if I weren't following, for example, a lot of the, the experts that Barbara included on her list. So that's something I did not expect because Twitter didn't seem like an essential reporting tool until this. Barbara, I'll start with you. The, the biggest lesson that you've learned from the last six months that can be applied specifically to covering future significant medical issues. I, I really, I mean, I was thinking about this for a bit and I, I think that, that um, health disparities and, and inequality in healthcare access, I feel like really came to the forefront and in a way that it hasn't before. It just felt like it was much huger and it's always been there. And we've been talking about this for a while, but I feel like this has been finally the time where people more broadly can see how much if, if, you know, we're only as healthy as everyone in our society is. So if there's these huge sets of people that don't have access to healthcare, um, that, that, um, that aren't able to, you know, get, get testing, aren't able to get the care in hospitals, that that affects everyone, right? And I think that for a long time, that, that it's sort of like people knew this, but they didn't really see it until this moment. And I hope that that stays part of our healthcare coverage forever afterwards, just how important this is. You know, the, the culture of health really matters for, for all of us. And so that, that to me seems like one of the really important lessons 
broadly for healthcare journalists that this is not like, oh yeah, social determinants of health, but let's talk about like that new drug, like that gets a lot of the, the coverage or let's talk about that, you know, new diagnostic tool or, but really it's, it's, it's really, really important that we talk about healthcare access and inequality and culture of health. I love what Barra said that I spot on to all of that, you know, public health is public health. And I think it's very true that, you know, we are only as healthy as the least healthy among us. I, I love the way that she put that. I think the big thing I take going forward, it, it's not really different than what I would have said when I started out reporting, which is we have to listen to the experts. We have to listen to expertise and not just any expert, not just someone who has an epidemiologist in their resume. We have to find the right experts for the right questions, the experts that have the right experience and are you know, uniquely suited to you know, address those specific issues. You know, find the epidemiologist who specializes in contact tracing and talk to them. Find the epidemiologist who, or the infection preventionist who you know, focuses on you know, transmission in enclosed spaces, you know, finding the very, very precise right experts, both in terms of journalists, but also in terms of public policy and ensuring that those are the people on the task forces at every level from the local up to the federal. I think we really need to focus on having experts leading the conversation. And that also allows for the second part of that, which is public education you know, public health education of the public. Um, can, you know, it's, it's understandable that the most people, if you'd stopped along the street a year ago, would not have even known what an epidemiologist was. Um, but we, need, we have a huge task ahead of us that journalists right now are not just journalists, we're also sort of teachers. Uh, we're, we're kind of public health teachers. We're having to teach the public new terms, what those terms mean, new concepts. Um, you know, convey public health information. And I think that scientific literacy and public health literacy and, and personal health literacy are all vitally important. This is an opportunity, um, this is an opportunity we need to be taking right now to use those experts' expertise and convey that to the public. And I think all of that, that whole package goes together. So many people uh, shouting, it's very difficult to, to as you've said, find the, the wheat from the chaff. I want to uh, separate here and just talk about your respective writing passions uh, because I've looked at your websites. Uh, I was overwhelmed by the number of different uh, things that you've both uh, written about. Uh, Tara, I would start with you. If you'd just like to tell us about the things that you really get passionate about, uh, particularly as they pertain to healthcare journalism. Yeah, actually, it's funny. Um, I, as I, as I talk to you right now, my 10-year-old son is sitting next to me. And unlike most women in professional um, you know, careers whose careers are stopped or halted or delayed by having children. In my case, having my children jump-started my career because I began asking questions when I was pregnant with him about vaccines. And because I was in, you know, grad school at the time for journalism, I made that what I was looking into. And that led me into looking into other pediatric issues and in medical studies and women's health issues. And to this day, you know, for the past 10 years, um, I have focused especially on vaccination and vaccination attitudes and hesitancy, pediatrics, women's health, mental health, um, you know, obesity, nutrition, all the different things that essentially touch my life through my children and, and through my friends. Um, and it's all medical research based because I think we're always trying to better understand better ways to live. And we turn to the evidence and the science to try to make sense of that as best we can while recognizing that it's an imperfect situation, an imperfect 
method that, you know, isn't, we're, we're not going to get like, you're not going to get solid answers. If you report on medicine and research, you have to embrace uncertainty all the while. Um, but I think that's why I'm so passionate about those things is none of them are cut and dry. They all have nuances. And I like to understand those nuances and explore them and find all the gray in different issues. Black and white is pretty boring. I'm, I'm interested in all those shades of gray and what they mean and how they differ from one person to another. And looking at all of those, you know, pediatrics and, and women's health and mental health, especially, all of those areas provide for that. Bara, I was going through your website uh, and you have an extensive uh, array of medical topics that you have uh, covered in your time. Can you tell us about what you're most passionate about when you write? It's interesting. I'm pretty similar to Tara, actually, um, women's health issues and uh, vaccines. And I, <laughs> I was thinking about, you know, what have I most passionately been talking about? I feel, feel I am, feel like a teacher as well, uh, particularly the flu vaccine that I've been talking to a lot of flu folks about the importance of the flu vaccine and what is it and kind of explaining the, the importance of vaccinations. And, and it's something that also gets me really worked up. Like I get really worked up about <laughs> this, this topic and how like, just it's like, don't you understand 150 people, 150 years ago, people died because they didn't have access to vaccines. And, and so it, it uh, kind of sometimes just boggles my mind. But um, so I feel definitely very passionate about that and, and healthcare in general, healthcare policy and um, actions that are being taken in Washington because I had a long, I have a long background in writing about uh, policy issues and healthcare policy. And so uh, Affordable Care Act, um, and what's been happening with that, that is another area of interest and, and passion as well. All right, to wrap up, uh, we always have a, a pay it forward segment. I wanna uh, ask, and I'll start borrow with you, uh, advice for someone who wants to be a uh, healthcare journalist. Well, I always tell folks who are interested in journalism, it's, it's a tough world, it's a hard world, uh, but it, it is really rewarding, especially if you are a very curious person. What I generally tend to recommend is that you find a niche. And so healthcare is a really, really great niche. Uh, so find something that you're really passionate about, whether that is healthcare or whether it is arts or the environment or if it is politics and really, really reading and, and you know, really investigating and, and talking to folks and really, really spending some time and anything that, that um, yeah, just really spending time immersing yourself into that topic area. And then you can start to think about story ideas. And, and uh, so that's generally what I recommend, like find a niche. Tara, your, your number one tip. Believe it or not, my, I, my, I usually have just three things, which is find a niche, you know, um, network as much as possible and start a blog where you can find your voice gradually over time in low stakes where you don't have to worry about it. I would also just say generally, if I wanted to pick one pithy quote, it's read as much as you can, talk to as many people as you can, question everything, and especially your own assumptions. Uh, all right. So then the last, the last thing is always, uh, we ask you to pick another journalism organization and pay it forward. I have two actually, and, and they're sort of similar. I want to give a great shout out and salute to ProPublica and to the Texas Tribune. Both of them are new forms of journalism in the sense that they are publicly funded, uh, not publicly like by the Fed, but private, you know, people investing in it as opposed to advertising. 
And we're in the age of the internet, we're always looking for new ways to fund journalism. It's, it's expensive to produce good journalism and to pay people with their worth and digging up these stories. And ProPublica and Texas Tribune both do a phenomenal job of doing deep, investigative, meaningful stories and doing so without relying on advertising. And I think that that is both, that's an admirable, noble pursuit, but it's also vitally important right now. For similar reasons, Kaiser Health News, I think that KHN does amazing work and very similar kind of model to ProPublica. And the National Association of Science Writers, they just uh, another really great organization, uh, supportive of journalists and doing all they can to help science writers. Excellent. Uh, those are certainly four very worthy uh, groups. Uh, I have ProPublica and the Texas Tribune and the, the science journalists uh, all on my list of organizations that I hope to speak to someday. So hopefully that will work out. Bara and Tara, uh, thank you for taking the time to join us. We'll link to your websites uh, in the uh, show notes. Thank you for uh, coming on and talking to us from the Association of Healthcare Journalists. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. We appreciate the work that Tara and Bara are doing and the work of the AHCJ. The goals of the AHCJ are as follows. To support the highest standards of reporting, writing, and editing, and broadcasting in healthcare journalism for the general public and trade publications. To develop a strong and vibrant community of journalists concerned with all forms of healthcare journalism. To raise the stature of healthcare journalism in newsrooms, the industry, and the public as a whole to promote understanding between journalists and sources of news about how each can best serve the public, to advocate for the free flow of information to the public, and to advocate for the improvement of professional development opportunities for journalists who cover any aspect of health and health care. You can learn more about the organization at its website, healthjournalism.org. The Journalism Salute is dedicated to the memory of Dr. Robert Cole, who influenced hundreds of students in his more than 30 years teaching at my alma mater, Trenton State College, the College of New Jersey. Dr. Cole had more resources at his disposal than you could possibly imagine. He had endless stacks of books, magazines, and folders with clippings all throughout his office and his house in Yardley, Pennsylvania. In fact, he even had bookshelves in his bathroom. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. If you're interested in following along with us, follow us on Twitter at Journalism Salute. S-A-L-U-T. There are more episodes to come. Thank you for tuning in.